for those maybe have not uh, been familiar with Advent or maybe joining us today for um, the first time, just a, a little heads up what, what Advent's all about. It, it means arrival. And we get to celebrate the arrival of the Messiah. Jesus has come. And um, Advent is, uh, it's not so much just like a, a tack on to Christmas. It's not like it's an opportunity for us to, uh, you know, open up uh, cheap calendars and eat chocolate. It's, it's a time to prepare our hearts as we celebrate the fact that God is with us. It's amazing. And uh, today we're going to talk about an amazing gift, a peace. Uh, before we do, just a couple of reminds of what, what Advent, some of the symbols are. Because if we don't know what they stand for, then that kind of uh, defeats the point. So, uh, an Advent um, usually has a wreath, and uh, a wreath reminds us of, it's a laurel, it's a, it's a sound of victory, that uh, if you were in Roman times, they would give you a laurel if you won a gladiatorial contest, or something like that, it's a sound of victory. The um, evergreen in that circle is reminding of everlasting life. So you see all the evergreen boughs and stuff at Christmas time, because if you notice something in the wintertime here, we have evergreen forests, but if you live in other places where they don't, in the wintertime, everything looks dead. And here, it all looks the same. And it reminds us that our God has everlasting life. And He brings everlasting life. And that the fact that He came to, to give us everlasting He won that for us. And He is the King of life. And we celebrate that. It's a wonderful thing. Now, in Advent, we also have some interesting things here. We have candles that every week we light. And each candle represents a different theme or something that Christ brings with him, with him when he came into the world. Now last week we talked about hope and how the fact that Jesus came, his arrival, gives us reason for hope. And today, the second ones, we talk about peace. And as we go through this series, every week as we light a candle, it reminds us that the light of the world came and lived amongst us. And so we're celebrating his arrival. And on Christmas Eve, we get to write, light the, the center candle. It's called the Christ candle. It reminds us that God really did come. The light of the world uh, made his dwelling amongst us an amazing thing. Now, the color of today's candle is purple. Purple is the color of preparation. It's a, it's a time for us as we look at uh, the peace of God. It helps us to prepare our hearts for his coming in our life now and, and in the second coming when he comes. So this amazing thing... Um, so I invite you, as we go on to this, uh, through this Advent thing, to, to come along this journey with us as we prepare ourselves for the greatest gift anyone could ever receive, the gift of eternal life in Christ. Amazing thing. So uh, we talk about peace today, and so I, I have found a couple symbols that maybe look familiar. Uh, I don't know if you've seen these, um, but uh, they all kind of have the same general meaning, all called peace signs, right? Um, but... Um, as I did some research into I discovered that each of these actually have um, some very different origins. Some interesting things, some tad bets. So, so here's your trivia for today. This one, the peace sign here, that was created in 1958 by a British artist by the name of Gerald Holton. And uh, he designed it as a, a way of protesting the nuclear armament in Britain. Um, and at a time when obviously they were starting to build their stockpiles. And the design, have you ever wondered why it looks like that? Well, the artist, Gerald, he designed it in a way that on the side, like there's that post in the middle, and coming off the side is supposed to look like two flags coming down. You see that? The, like the, the little bottom part of that is the bottom of the flags. And so there's like a post in the middle. And the idea is this. It's the hope that the countries would come back together and fly our flags together in peace. And so it was something to look for as a hope, but it was also a warning because he also designed it to look like a man or a person standing there with their arms stretched out in despair. And it was, he designed it to, to stand as a warning, the two paths that humanity can take. 
One of, of peace and, and of unity and the other of despair. And it's a powerful symbol and of course it was uh, used in Britain uh, over and then eventually most of us in America recognize that it was uh, then adopted over here for use in the civil rights movement. Now, uh, Here's another one that was also used in the civil rights movement, but actually had origins before that. This is the, the, the little fingers, the V, and uh, that was originally used in World War II. And I didn't know this beforehand, but it was originally created by uh, people who were living in German-occupied areas in World War II. They're part of the resistance, and they used it as a symbol to show each other, say, we're going to beat these guys. Victory is what it stands for, victory. And so they pointed to a hope, some, something that was out there, this victory over the oppressor that they were longing for, clinging for. Well, uh, Winston Churchill found out about that, and so he, um, he borrowed it, and he eventually used it for victory in the conflict for Britain and, and for England over the Germans. And then eventually throughout the war, as the Allies came in, it became a sign amongst the Allies, a sign of victory and amongst all the nations for, for the end of the war, for victory. In, uh, in the conflict. Now, interestingly enough, uh, then later on, that same symbol that was stood for victory in war uh, was adopted by the anti-war movement and, uh, in the 1960s, and that's where uh, a lot of people see it today. I think it's kind of interesting. Now, both of those come out from, uh, those first two symbols come from times of, uh, of conflict and fear. But here's a third one, which is a little bit older in its origin. And uh, it's, a, it's a dove with the olive branch. And it comes from uh, a lot further back in history. There was this guy named Noah, and he had a long boat ride. And uh, the reason that he was on that boat for a long time was uh, the world had become pretty corrupt. In fact, it says in Scripture that all the thoughts of all the people is evil all the time. That's a lot of time to spend all of your life being wicked, right? Things were bad. It was so bad that God waited and he waited and he waited until there was only one family left in the entire earth that was even somewhat righteous, that would, would, would follow him. One. And of course, if we waited one more regeneration, we would know that there would be no one left. And so he says, we're going to give humanity a fresh start. And so Noah builds an, an ark, and I got to go a couple weeks ago to a life-size uh, replica of the ark took me six hours to walk through. You have no idea how huge one of those is. If you can ever get a chance to see it, it's amazing. But he's on this ark, and there's water, and they're waiting, and, it, and eventually the water goes down, and the, and the ark lands in the mountains of Ararat, and, and they're sitting there waiting. They're like, is it safe to get out? And they're like, I don't know. Is it safe to get out? I don't know. Send a bird, right? So they take a dove, and he sends it outside, and eventually the dove comes back and with nothing, and he's like, I guess there's nowhere to land. There's no food out there. Must not be safe yet, so let's wait a little longer. And then he sends the dove out a second time after he waits a little bit. A dove comes back with an olive branch. And from that point on, this symbol has reminded us it stands for the promise of peace after the storm. The hostilities with God have ended. Right? How amazing. It's a deep peace. And uh, we get to talk about peace today. In fact, that's the second gift of Christmas that we do, the Advent. We take an entire week to focus on peace. And when we talk about peace, uh, most of the time people are talking about freedom from disturbance, right? We have peace between nations. They're not disturbed with each other, right? Peace in your own life. You have disturbance. And as we talk about peace is that. Uh, freedom from disturbance. Does that describe your life? No? <laughs> I'll be honest. It doesn't usually describe mine either. 
we live in a world that has plenty of disturbance, doesn't it? I mean, day to day, there's trouble, there's turmoil, there's always something to get upset about if we don't have to even look all that hard. Sometimes it finds us. And that's okay. I think that uh, it's when, our, when we recognize our need for peace it is uh, when we celebrate it the most. I mean, think about every one of those symbols that we just saw before. When were they created? Were they created on vacations when everything was going good and everyone felt great? It's in the midst of the trouble and the trial that the gift of peace becomes such a valuable gift. And we do not live in a world that is known for its peace. The Advent season this time, is, it's a wonderful opportunity of allowing God's peace into our lives. Into the chaos and into the craziness, into the, the frustrations and the anxiety and the whirlwind that swirls around us. It's a reminder that God has come. And he brings peace with him. And, it, and, and in that, nativity has this wonderful two-pronged focus. The, the first one is it looks at the cradle. It looks, it looks there in, in, at the fact that we have Emmanuel. God came. That, there, that God put on flesh. He became a person. He, and he keeps his promise. And he's not, he hasn't abandoned us. That God has come. But the other part of Advent is looking past that. It's looking at his second coming. That he's, he's coming again. That the story's not done. And in both we find hope, and in both we find peace. So here's a passage from Isaiah 9-6 that hopefully you're starting to let percolate into your life as we uh, sing through that. But something I want you to notice that in this, part of that passage as we're singing it, is we're talking about the very identity of Jesus. At Christmas time, it's right for us to celebrate peace because Jesus is peace. Peace begins as a person. It's part of who he is. For to us, a child is born, a real human, a son is given. And yes, the government's going to be on his shoulders. His names we call Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It's part of his identity. It's just, wherever Jesus goes, peace is. It's part of the evidence of who he is. You know, it's, it's, you can't be who you're not, and you can't not be who you are. And where Jesus goes, peace goes. And so we look into our lives and we look into our world and we see the conflict and the trouble and the trials. And oftentimes people say, how can God stand all of this brokenness? And I'll tell you, he came to fix it. He came as peace. And one of the evidences in our life is a peace. When God comes into our life, into our world, into our culture, we find a greater sense of real peace. And so not only is Jesus peace, but then he also brings that peace. It's just who he is. Look at what the angels said in, in Luke 2. This is when they serenaded the, uh, the shepherds who were maybe a little shocked by all of this that night and maybe weren't feeling so peaceful at first. Right? If you were staying there and all of a sudden, all of a, sudden a bunch of an army of angels shows up and says, guess what? We've got a surprise for you. Right? And then they start singing. And this is what they sing. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom favors rests. What's the effect of Christ's arrival? Peace. That's what he brings. And at Christmas time, as we look at this, as we look at Advent, we see the effect of Christ brings peace. And that peace is a powerful peace, and our world needs peace, doesn't it? I mean, a lot's changed in the world in the last 2,000 years, right? I mean, things have gotten busier and more hectic, but a lot hasn't changed. We still have troubles and trials and pain. I mean, if anything, I think that maybe just the pace of the world has picked, has picked up since back then. 
I mean, stress and anxiety are at all-time highs. If we ask our friends that are in the helping professions, right? We know that. And I think it's important for us to realize that the peace that God gives is not the peace like this world. Oftentimes, in the midst of our pain, we often go to God and we say, God, I want peace from certain things. I want peace from the trial. But God doesn't always give us peace from things. We see in Christ that he didn't just change everything all of a sudden. He didn't give us peace from immediately. He gave us peace in. That's where he starts. Peace in the midst of the storm. And so when we unwrap this gift, we look at the peace of Christ. We recognize there is peace in this world that he brings. And he gives us this kind of peace in, uh, in this, I, guess, I guess, three very important ways that we receive it. The peace in that we have, the peace in the midst of the storm, starts with a peace with. I was uh, parking my car the other day over at uh, uh, in the Stanley Village parking lot, and I ran across this uh, bumper sticker. I don't know if you've ever seen it. The no God, no peace, no God, no peace. And I've seen it before. I, ah, that's clever. It's a play on words. But it's also, I was like, you know, especially as I was preaching on this, I was like, man, how profound and true is that? That peace in life really begins with peace with God. And it makes sense if if we begin to think about why that is. Uh, Where did the trouble begin with? Well, we have to go back a little while in history. I mean, have you ever, a student of history, turned back and ever found a time in world history where it was just peace on earth? You ever found that point and I was like, oh yeah, okay, there was perfect peace everywhere. No, so if we keep going back, where did the trouble begin well, it started in Eden, didn't it? That's where it began. And we recognize that we have this, uh, this war going on with God. And that's really what sin is. Oftentimes, these sin people think sin is just doing bad things. No, no. Sin is rebellion is, is what it goes to. If we go back to that original time when everything started falling apart, Adam and Eve weren't in trouble because they ate fruit. It's that they... They tried to usurp God. It was they ate the, not an apple, but the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the reason it says they did this is so that they could be like God, knowing both good and evil. And in our language, we may think that sounds like, oh, well, then they'll know what's right and wrong. No, they already knew it was wrong to eat from the tree, right? They already knew it was right not to. They understood right and wrong. What they gained when they, when they, uh, when they ate that fruit was this. Before that point, they agreed with God what was right and wrong. They still had the choice if they were going to do it, but what God said was right, they would say, yep, that's right. And if what God said was wrong, they would say, yep, they, they couldn't not. Their, their moral compass was tied to God's. They were in agreement. But when they ate that fruit, the poison of that fruit, what it did is it somehow separated their moral compass from God's. And humans at that point got the opportunity to create our own standards of morals and ethics. And we've been, been doing that ever since. The sin is when we start following our own self. And if I agree with God, then it's convenient, right? He says, don't murder somebody. And I'm like, that's nice. I'll agree with God on that one. Probably shouldn't murder people. But when I disagree with God, when he says something in Scripture that says, do this, and I don't want to do that, and maybe it goes against what my standard of right and wrong is, now I've got a, a conflict. And really, the reality is, most of the time, even when I'm obeying, like I agree with God, I'm not really obeying God. I'm just obeying myself because I disagree with him. He says, don't murder people. I don't murder people because I think it's wrong. But if somehow I could justify it and say, I think it's right to murder somebody, then I would go ahead and do it. And I would justify myself, wouldn't I? So the problem, the problem with, we begin with is we have this war between ourselves and God. 
And because we choose different ethics than God has, he says different things than our culture says about all kinds of things, doesn't he? About yourself and how you should live, about how we should treat other people, about, about family and what family is and how it's supposed to operate, about uh, forgiveness. He says all kinds of things that our culture now has very different morals. And we have this fight. And then that fight is kind of in us. And when we do things that we know God doesn't want us to do, what do we do? Well, we justify ourselves, don't we? We say all kinds of things to excuse our actions, to say this is how, why I'm right and God's wrong. We do it all the time. Think about, you know, Hitler justified, we tried to justify the, uh, the Holocaust. He said it's the best thing for humanity. I'm making a stronger genetic race. Stalin justified murdering so many of his people, saying, I'm, I'm taking out the people that would cause conflict in my country. That's what I'm doing. People, we can justify anything we want to if we really try. I've had people, not just dictators, I have folks, all of us really do it. People come to my office and have justified uh, adultery, affairs. They've justified stealing things from other people. And we can justify anything we want. And if we really are true, we do this ourselves, right? Each one of us. How many times do we justify our own actions, right? Well, the only reason I snap back at them, them, because <laughs> I was so mean, the reason I'm not going to forgive them is because we justify ourselves all the time. Now, does that justification, does it result in peace? Has it ever? Think about the conflicts that we have in our life. So many of them are because we're going we're gonna to have the high moral ground and we're going to fight on what we know we want to have and we don't offer forgiveness or mercy or grace like God would command. Or we do nasty things to other people because we justify it to ourselves and what does it do? It destroys relationships and it destroys society. We surround ourselves with people that make us, that tell us what we want to hear, not God who tells us what we need to hear and we become polarized and we create enemies. See, war with God naturally creates war with people because if I'm going to create my own standard of ethics, you're going to create your standard of ethics and we're not always going to agree. And so what do we do about that? I mean, isn't that what the election really showed us? Is that we can come up with all kinds of different standards and my own standard, this rebellion that I have had against God does not result in peace. We demonize, we fight, we get frustrated. Our lives are filled with turmoil, with despair, with brokenness. There is no peace when we have struggle with God. Not only that, when we are at odds with God, what kind of hope is there in the midst of my trials? When the world, which is bigger than bigger than me, comes in and starts beating me up, if I'm already at odds with God and I feel guilty and I feel shame or I feel all those things that separate me from God, I'm going to try to tackle this world on my own. And the world becomes a very scary place when you try to face it by yourself, doesn't it? I think that's one of the most things is that when Jesus came, he brought us peace. Look at this, this passage. It comes to us from uh, Romans 5. It talks about how we have peace in Christ. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, when we try to justify ourselves... What happens? Strife, trouble, difficulty. Our lives go downhill. Things get bad. But Jesus brought peace, not in justifying himself. himself. He didn't need to. But he came and justified us. 
He ended the war. We committed treason against God. And instead of destroying us, God came and became one of us while we were still his enemies. And he purposefully and intentionally came to, ta- to pay the penalty for our betrayal so that we could be made right with God again, so the war could end. I think it's amazing that God declared peace while we were still declaring war. Even at the moments that we were unjustly nailing him to the cross, he was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't get it what they're doing. We have an amazing God. Where Jesus is, there is peace. And he came to declare a mighty peace from heaven to you. That's why Jesus said, when asked what was his whole purpose, he said, you know what? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And he didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What an amazing Jesus, how amazing he is. He came and he brought peace. He ended the war between us and God. And it says that we can have that peace with him, but we have to, we have to lay down our, our arms, right? God's not going to get on your bandwagon and say, what you say is right is what I'm going to say is right. Is right. God doesn't work like that. And how could he? But he does say this. I made a way for us to be right, to end the battle. And I'll accept you back with open arms if you accept me as your Savior that I paid the price and your Lord. Stop trying to do it according to your own way. Lay down the poison from Eden and say, you know what? I'm gonna, what he says is right is what I'm going to agree. Even if I don't understand it or I don't fully agree, I'm going to at least say, I'm going to go ahead with God's way. That perhaps his moral compass might be better uh, set than mine is. That's what he can do. What an amazing thing. We can have peace with God. Now when I'm at peace with God, some amazing thing happened in my life. Right? When, I, when I realize that I'm no longer at war with God, right? and that His ways, it's not my way that I'm trying to get, that His ways are actually good, then I don't have to fight other people when it's like my way versus their way. I don't have to. How great is that? It is God knows what He's doing. And I can trust Him. And it's great. And that peace that I get when I am, when I am no longer in, in strife with God uh, when I begin to really own that, it, it leads to a peace inside, doesn't it? Because what happens when we have this war against God, when we do all these nasty, awful, bad things, we try to justify them, not only does it create conflict in our life, but it creates something in us called guilt and shame. Many people walk around in their life, in their life filled with so much guilt, so much shame. And it's needless. God has paid the price for it. How many times, I, it just breaks my heart, how many times I see, as a pastor I've served, even Christians, they come and they receive the gift of God through grace and they get it and then there's something in their life that they want that they know that God doesn't want them to have. So they justify it. And then they put it into their life and what happens is they feel guilty about it. And that guilt is kind of like a warning sign, like something's wrong, but they don't want to feel guilty about it so they want to separate themselves from anything that would remind them that it might be wrong. But not only that, but oftentimes they start to feel shame. That they have something to hide. And isn't that what shame is all about? It's about hiding. Like, I've got something that if God, if God sees this, or other people see this, and they're going to see how awful and wretched I really am, I have to hide. Shame is all about hiding. 
When I recognize I have peace with God, both of those go away. The first one is this, guilt. Jesus paid for it. That's the purpose of the cross. That's what he did. He paid for all of our sins, past, present, future. See, part of God being all-knowing knows everything that you were going to do, everything that you're doing now, and everything that you're ever going to do. That's part of his prerogative, his privilege of being God. He gets to see all of that. He knows all of it. And he chose you anyway. He knows that you're going to fail from time to time, and he chose you anyway. He knows the depths and, and, and of our sin. He knows our doubts. He knows our fears. And he came to this world anyway. And he went to the cross anyway. And he loves you anyway. He already sees it. You don't have to hide from God. You really can't hide from God. But it's been paid for. See, in Christ there is no guilt. It's been paid for. Now, that doesn't mean it's a free license to go and live our lives and do anything bad that we want to do. It means this, that no matter what I'm doing, I can always go back to God because he already knows he's not going to reject me. It's not like I'm going to go to God and say, God, please forgive me from this. And he'll be like, what? You did what? I was going to forgive you till I knew that. God doesn't work like that. He's like, of course. Let me help you. That's our God. He has declared peace with us. We are not his enemy. But there's the other part, it's the shame. And the shame is even worse. When we feel we know our own brokenness and we own that, and we feel we've got to hide it from God, we can't be around church or people like that because we just feel gross inside. We feel, here's the thing, God sees you and he loves you. He already sees it. You can't hide. There is no shame in Christ. In fact, it is when we are most broken is the time we need to be with God the most. It is in our darkest times that we need His light the most. It is when we are wandering the furthest that we need to be around the fellowship of those who can help us the most. This is a place of grace. Every one of us messes up all the time. Surprise. So if you've messed up, you're in good company. You belong here. But we need to be a people of grace that say together, you know what? It's not our ways, it's God's way. And it's a right way. It's a good way. It leads to peace and life and goodness. We can help one another. There is no need for shame. And part of this is I think we often feel like, okay, God forgave me, but he forgives like people do. You ever had somebody do something to you and you're like, okay, I forgive you, but that's still in your heart. You're like, but I don't like that person. I'm still mad at them. I forgive them. means I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to take it out on them, but I still don't trust them. I don't like them. Am I the only one? Okay. Well, just follow with me then. Sometimes, maybe sometime in your life, someone will do something nasty to you. And then you'll be like, okay, okay, I have to forgive you. Okay, I forgive you. And then it's like words. I forgive you. Okay, forgiven. Boom. Done. Okay, now I'm not going to do anything mean to them because they did that. Okay, I'm not going to. i I'm be perfectly fine with that. But every time I see them, I seethe. Right? Because there's an emotional wound that has happened and it hasn't been repaired yet. That's part of being human. But God did something amazing that humans can't do. It says we have been propitiated, which is a crazy weird word, but it means this. He took his anger and his wrath that was meant for you because of what we have done and he placed it on himself. And he took the full brunt of it. And he expended that wrath and now it has been poured out. In fact, they even use the word like a cup, like it's been poured out. You've ever taken a glass of something that's full and then poured it out and then tried to get anything else out of that? I had it this morning, a big old cup of coffee, and I was drinking it, and then it was gone, and I couldn't get even one more drop out of it. It was gone. 
God's wrath is gone, poured out. He's not mad at you. Get that. That's the purpose of the cross. That's why it was so brutal. It was all of his anger and all of his wrath. Bam! And he took it on himself so it wouldn't have to land on you. That's how much he loves you. He's not up in heaven looking down on you saying, "Mm, if I would have known, how did you sneak in? Right? It's not the way he works. See, God, he saves us and he gives us this peace with him and that peace leads to a peace within, doesn't it? A peace that that goes into my very very heart, my very life that says this, I've got a bunch of trials and troubles and, and, and I might have a bunch of anxiety about this world because I'm trying to face it on my own, but when I realize that God is with me, I can start to have a whole different kind of peace. Right? When, when I realize that, that I'm, it's not Aaron against the world, when the trials in the world comes in, it's no longer me trying to overcome it. I have God who's bigger than it with me. He is with me. I'm not at war with Him anymore. He loves me. He's in my life. And that gives me peace. A real peace. And not only that, but it's also, I think, more than the world that rages around me, I think oftentimes we're our own worst enemy. I think the war that rages within is sometimes ten times worse than any, anything that we face on the outside. That war on the inside, all those, those little voices in there telling you how come God shouldn't love you, why you shouldn't love yourself, how you don't measure up, all these types of things. right? Why you should have anxiety and fear and shame. You know what? The peace of God, when I know that I am with God and I'm right with Him and He's forgiven me and He holds my future and He's with me and working through me, that anxiety from the inside, that battle can be won. There's a powerful passage that helped me on this a couple years ago. It's this one right here, Philippians 4, 6. Some of you might know it. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me share you a little, let's step into the to life of Aaron a little bit. Uh, first off, that far first thing there, that is not a command. Don't be anxious about anything. How many people I know that feel like that's a command and then they feel all anxious that they feel anxious? <laughs> right? I'm guilty already. It's not a command. It's an invitation. God said, I have created a peace. You can enjoy it. Don't, you don't have to live that way anymore. And this is how you don't have to live that way anymore. It's an invitation for you. So here's what happened in the life of Aaron a couple of years ago. I was going through... Uh, this life was hidden, just like it, you know, it does for everybody. And there was a storm that was coming. It was hitting, and, and Zach had just come on staff. And we would always walk around the lake first thing in the morning and talk about life and ministry and things like, things like this. And during that time, I was just filled with anxiety. I, I, normally, I sleep pretty good, but I was losing sleep. I had this pit in my stomach. It was, it was getting worse, and it was bad. And, and uh, I was telling him about it. I was walking around the lake and, and all that kind of stuff. And he listened to it for... A good couple of weeks and uh, didn't ever say anything, which is kind of nice being the boss. That's I got to tell you, uh, you know, it's like I won't say anything, but he, I'm sure he's praying, and maybe he was praying for this verse for me because I was driving somebody down to the airport, and on my way back, God gives me this verse, and He says, "You need this," and I had already known the verse because we memorized it as a church, but I was like, I didn't want it at that particular time. I was like, Lord, I don't need this verse. I'm already feeling anxious, right? So then I go walk around the lake and I'm telling Zach about this. And I'm saying, you know what God did? He even gave me, he gave me this verse, right? But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do it. I'm just going to show God. I'm going to apply this into my life and I'm going to show him it doesn't work, right? 
But if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So I did. Many times a day, whenever there was anxiety, things were happening, I would go and I would pray to him. But here's the key thing. I offered my prayer petition, but it was with thanksgiving. And, I, and there was a, something I didn't see before. And at first I thought, thanksgiving, how can I be thankful for these problems? That's not what he's asking me to be thankful for. That is stupid. Like, no one ever drops a brick on their foot and says, thank you, Jesus. Right? Nobody. That's not, that would be a lie. We don't thank God for the problems. What I'd learned is that I can thank God for who he is in the problem. See, at the time, I was facing injustice, and that bothers me. And in the midst of the injustice, I could say, I could say God, thank you for being a God of justice. Bring righteous wrath down, right? You're a God of justice. I can read in the Old Testament, man. Just bring that fiery fist. Come on. You can do it. You're a God of justice. You care about what's right. I'm thankful for you, right? But then, it wasn't much long after that, I got to begin thanking God because he's a God of mercy. Because, well, I was thinking, man, as I was asking for his justice, I started thinking about my life, and I'm like, maybe I could use some mercy too. Thank you, you're a God of mercy. Help me have mercy in this, right? Help me be merciful in this. Right? And then I didn't know what to do. And so I began thanking God for the fact that He's a God of wisdom. He knows all things. And I said, God, I am so beyond what I can do. I'm so outside of my element. Thank you that you know what's right. What I should, what I should do. And that you say in your word, if I ask you for wisdom, you're going to give it to me. So thank you. And I began to pray with thanksgiving. And you know what happened? Nothing. First week went around the lake again talking to Zach in the morning. I'm like, I'm still as anxious as ever, but I'm going to keep it up. So the second week, there I am, multiple times a day, praying with thanksgiving, right? grudgingly even, with a bad attitude. This is how cool God is. And no peace. Anxiety still. Third week, something amazing happens. Every single thing I ask God about, every single one of them got worse got worse. And you know the, what was crazy about that? Is all of a sudden, I didn't have anxiety about it. I started sleeping good at night. I was like, this is crazy. How is it that I have peace now and everything that I've been praying that you would end, God, has gotten worse? It made no sense. But I couldn't even get myself worked up about these things. I would think about it and like the rage wouldn't be there. The anxiety wasn't there. It just transcended understanding. It seems to me that God began to keep His Word in my life. He didn't save me from my storm. He saved me in the storm. That was an amazing thing. As the world uh, around me began to crumble, crumble even more, as the whirlwind began to spin even worse, all of a sudden, I was at peace. And I couldn't explain it to anybody. And I remember telling Zach, I don't get why this is happening. Right? I hope it doesn't end. But you know what it helped me do? It helped me to handle my, my difficulties better. In the midst of that, before, I was paralyzed by anger and fear. And without the anxiety, I could kind of see things a little better. I was able to handle things with grace, with mercy, and with wisdom, and with righteousness. I started to respond better. And, and, and as the the storm around me, I, I prayed for, for a long time, God, take away the storm. But instead, he didn't calm the storm, he just calmed me down. And then he overcame the storm through me. That was, that was power. I got to see God work in my own life. So that's why it says it's a peace that transcends all understanding. God doesn't always give us the peace that we think we want. 
And I see God's mercy in it now. Because if God had just taken away the storm, if He had just taken that thing away that I thought was the source of all my pain, and He just ended it, then yeah, I would, I would have peace for a time. But guess what? This world has storms, doesn't it? And what would happen the next time another storm came into my life? I would freak out again, wouldn't I? I'd be like, ah! Now, God, you've got to take that away. I would be living in fear of the future all the time. In fact, if I had a time of peace when good things were happening, I would just be waiting for the next shoe to drop, wouldn't I? Anxiety in times of peace. That's what I would have. But God did something better. He showed me he's bigger than any, than any storm. He carried me through it. He conquered the storm. He said, you know what? I've got this. You don't need to do this. You should be faithful. You should settle down, Aaron. All right. And I did. And then... A couple months later, the things that I was so anxious about, he fixed. Went away, and here's a little secret for you. Most storms in life end. Have you ever noticed like any part in the world that's like constantly under storms? They've never ended? No. Like every storm has a beginning and end? Well, God carried me through. But what he did is he taught me an incredible lesson. That he's bigger than my circumstances. But I saw him carry out something in the midst of when I thought that I should be freaking out even more, that I was okay, and then he carried me through it. He overcame this world in my life. So the next time those storm clouds of trouble started to form on the horizon, I, said, I wasn't freaking out. I wasn't saying, God, where are you? I knew exactly where he was. He was standing with me. And certainly I always ask that he would make my life easy because I'm not stupid, right? I want things to go well. I want the storms to go away. But if they don't go away, I now know because I've walked with him through enough storms that he's right with me. Say, peace with God leads to a peace within. And it's a powerful peace. It's a peace that the world can't take away from us. It doesn't matter what happens in life, what we are going through, we can be at peace. And that peace that we have in, within, it can lead to then a, a, a different kind of focus. Because there are different things in this world, the world that, that some struggles don't go away. There was like, do you remember um, the guy, uh, Apostle Peter, Right? He had a couple of big storms, right? He was on a boat once, and then God made the storm go away, and then he realized that God's bigger than nature and all this. And then later on in his life, right, when everything else is falling apart, Jesus dies, goes to heaven, comes back, you know, meets with them on the water and, and, and all this. Uh, he has this change in his life. No longer is he so much scared of the things around him, so much so that um, he's able to walk up to the, the guys that, uh, that murdered Jesus, like the, the very powerful Sanhedrin, and he's able to tell them, listen, um, you can kill me if you want to, but I saw Jesus alive, so I have peace in this. Right? It changed him. How about Paul? Paul had a, an interesting kind of peace. Right? Um, in his life, he faced all kinds of, of very difficult things, difficult trials and, and frustrations, and, uh, and uh, some of his went away, and others didn't. Maybe identify with Paul a little bit in this. There is a, a, one of those trials he had. He said it was like a thorn in the flesh. I have no idea what that was. Uh, and he says, God, take it away. And then God says, no. And he prays again, God, take it away. And God says, no. He says, God, seriously, uh, take it away. And God says, seriously, no. And then he gets it. Ah, this is something that's not going to go away. But God has a purpose in it. And all of a sudden, that thorn in the flesh became the very thing, Paul said, that God used to magnify his ministry. You may have thorns in the flesh, things that aren't going to go away. Right? You may be in the middle of a storm that really doesn't end. Difficulties, trials, things aren't going to end the way that you think that you want them to. Does it mean that you don't have peace then? 
Well, no, in the midst of that storm, God can bring you a very real peace that surpasses understanding. If you go to him, you thank him. But there's also a greater peace too, because why would that even matter than if, if the brokenness of this world just reigns supreme forever? There's a different kind of peace. When we recognize we're right with God and what he's done for us and we experience this peace in our life, then we can focus on the right things. I think if we're all freaked out about the storm, that's all we look at, about everything that's broken in our life. But once we have the peace of Christ in life, we begin to step back and see the bigger picture. And we see the bigger picture, we recognize that there, there is an end to all of this. Jesus is coming back. If you're struggling with, with really hard relationships, and there may be some things that just aren't going to be fixed in this life. When Jesus comes back, he fixes things. When he comes back, there's going to be no more war. No more trial. You know how crazy and cool that is. How about this? Maybe in this life, you're struggling with, with a broken body. And you're fighting, in fact, all of us are, to be honest. More of us is more acute. And you pray for it to go away, and it just doesn't go away. You know what? God can give you peace in the midst of that. But even if he doesn't bring you the healing that you're asking for, you get a new body. Jesus is coming back. In fact, when he comes back, we all get new bodies, which are pretty sweet. Apparently, they'll be like Ferraris compared to our, like our Toyotas, right? be pretty awesome. But not only that, they don't die. No more death. Not only they don't get die, they don't get sick. No more sickness. And there's all the things, no more pain. That's pretty great. Jesus is coming back. And how do we know he's coming back? Because he came the first time. If he came to, to live and to suffer and die, certainly he will come again to reign. See, as we have this amazing peace as we begin to look forward. So in those trials and those struggles that seem like they're going to last forever, here's the promise. They won't last forever. See, in Christmas, our, our faith is not that Jesus is going to come. See, he already came. Our faith is that he's coming again. That's what we look forward to. And so that peace that, from God that gives us peace within reminds us that we can then have the bigger picture and step back and look at this world from a bigger picture. Say, what God is, wants from me now is just faithfulness. And if he brings trouble into my life, then I'm going to pray against it and I'm going to pray that God takes it away. But if he says, if he says well, I want you to walk through it, he's going to walk through it with me. He's going to do everything he wants to do. And at the right time, he's going to end this world. And he's going to bring about perfect, eternal peace. We long for that. We look forward to it. And it's as inevitable as it was when Christ came the first time. God is coming. So, what we do with this peace? Well, we see in John 16.33 that this peace is not something that the world's going to give us. Right? It's something that only Jesus can. He told us uh, in John 16.33, Jesus said, I've told you these things. What things? Jesus said, hey, guess what? I'm going to get killed. Right? So, he says, I told you these things. Why? So that you may have peace. What? Because he just lets them in all secret. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Have trouble. Yeah, no kidding. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So when Jesus came, he came and he died on a cross. And through death, he destroyed death. Through injustice, he destroyed injustice. Right? Through suffering, he destroyed suffering. Jesus ended it all. He won. That's why he says finished. That's where we get our peace in. Not the fact that my life looks great right now, but that heaven is coming. I don't live for this world. I live for the kingdom. That's what he came to save us for. It puts our focus on the right things. And so we long for that. While we know now, it's not just that we endure this life. We can actually be productive in this life. We don't have to have the anxiety that most people have in this life because God is using us now for eternal things. So, here's this great gift. It's a gift of peace that God gives to us in Christ. It's a peace with God. It leads to a peace within. Right? 
that allows us to go to peace to come. Now, what does that look like in our life? I know it's a very ethereal concept. Let me, again, why don't you welcome into my life just a little bit. I think there's a million times a day that we can begin to have this peace into our life from big things to little things. There are a lot of times this world tries to take away the, our peace, right? Where it's very difficult. It is a, the battle is real. And so, I don't like, uh, this last week I went down to the, uh, something benign, like real simple. I went down to the post office, right? I was going to just go mail something, right, to somebody to be nice, right? Like a little package. And I was like, so I'm going to go down to the post office. I think this is going to be a very, and I was even happy when I went in. Like, hey, I got a package, right? I, I was going to the post office. It was going to be great. And I get into the line and I'm waiting there for like 40 minutes, right? And it's amazing in 40 minutes how peace can slip away and it wasn't so much just waiting there you know feeling my life drain from me as I'm standing in line it wasn't that is that the people on both sides of me uh, were having this conversation and, and they were people that uh, just disagreed with, with my understanding of how the world works and about every way and they started to insult uh, people of faith and you know how much I love you Right, so you talk bad about me, it's fine. You talk bad about my church, I'm gonna, I'm going, I'm, I get, you know, the blood pressure, like it's, right. And I don't know why I didn't just let, you know, say, hey, would you please, Dana? But probably, probably because I was feeling mean spirited by the time that thought came to me. And I'm standing there, and then, rah, 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 you know, and I'm just standing there in line, and I could just feel like the tent, not peace. I certainly had disturbance. There was disturbance in the force. And I'm standing there, and I'm just getting, oh, right. And I'm feeling ang- more and more angry and more and more upset and all this kind of stuff. It's real. We all face this. And by the time I get to the front of the line, I'm getting up there close to the line, I just want to like, just punch both of them. Like, ah, ah, right? But I'm preaching on peace and I'm a pastor, so that's not an option. <laughs> and because of that, God had an opportunity to teach me a good lesson in this. See, it reminded me of that praying with thanksgiving. As I was there in line and I was feeling this, and I said, God... This, I don't know, this is really making me mad. I don't want to say something or do anything mean that I don't, shouldn't do or whatever. I thank you that you're a God of grace. I thank you that you came. That you came while we were still your enemies. You know, you, you went, when you were on the cross and even as they were nailing you there, you said, forgive them. And now I began to pray. It's like, God, you've got to help me in this moment, in this time. And in that line, God didn't change these yappers around me, he changed me. I recognized I was waging a much too small a war. I wanted lightning bolts, just like, right? And if he wanted to take out the rest of the line too, that would have been fine, because I could have got through quicker. But that's not how he worked. Instead, he said, you know what? I came for enemies. I was light, and I came into darkness because I love people. I love those people that work around you. There was even thieves on the cross that were talking bad about it. He even forgave one of them. He would have forgiven the other too if he would have asked. He forgave the very guards that nailed him there. And the crowds that cried for him to be there. That's our Jesus. And all of a sudden, I began to have this different kind of peace. Instead of being angry at those around me, my heart began to break because they have no idea. They've never met Christ. They have no idea what it, what it would look like in a person. What it changes us from the inside out. By the time I got to the front of the line, there was a different kinds of peace, a new kind of compassion in my very spirit and soul. See, when I talk about peace, it's not some ethereal thing for the by and by. It's a very real, tangible gift for here and now. It helps us. 
It changes us. It empowers us. It's a gift for you. So how do we unwrap this gift? This amazing gift of peace. Well, I have some ideas. So if you take out your connection card, there are some things that I think that you can do this week that will help you. Help you as you begin to, to unwrap this gift of peace. The very first thing that I think that we can all do is this. Read the Christmas story. Recognize this. It's not a fairy tale. Jesus actually came. He was a historical figure. Really is God. Proved it. Did all kinds of cool stuff that people just can't do unless they're God. Read the story of how God entered human, human history. Read it. Now, there are four weeks of Advent and there are four Gospels, which means there are four different uh, viewpoints of how, you know, stories of the Advent, like how Jesus came. All of them tell the same story from a different perspective. This week, if you want to do that, I encourage you to read Mark 1. It is the shortest of all the stories. Seriously, take you five minutes, but it's amazing. Read as a family. See the fact that God is serious. He came into this world. Jesus is peace. Peace came into this world. Look how it happened. If he came into this world, he can come into your life. I think the second thing is this. How does he do that? Accept peace with God. Jesus came for a reason. He didn't come so that he could gloat the fact that he was right and we're wrong. He didn't come to show us how bad we are. He didn't do any of that. He came to save us. That's what it said. He came to to save us. He wanted you to have peace with him. So you need to declare peace with God. So if you're already in Christ, maybe this might mean, maybe if you're struggling with guilt right now or shame with things that have happened in your life, bring those things to the throne. If there are things that have happened in the past you've already repented for, that is false guilt. God has already forgiven and he already loves you. You know, if there are things in your life right now that you're doing that you know that God doesn't want to have part of his kingdom, you can declare peace. You can say, you know what, God, you're right. Help me to come back to you. And he will. He will help. Declare peace with God. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's where peace begins. He's done everything he can to declare peace with you. Now you need to receive that. And if that's you this morning, you can't think of any time in your life where you came to him and you said, God, Jesus, I'm accepting you by faith to be my Savior, that you paid the penalty for all my sins. And uh, my Lord, by faith, I'm going to trust that you know what's right, not me, and I'm going to follow you as my God. If you can't think of a time you've done that, you can't think of a time that, that you've turned from your life and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ch- have a change of heart. I'm going to stop living my way. I'm going to start living your way, God, because I know that you're my Savior. If you've ever thought of a time that, that, that you have a, haven't identified with him and said, you know what, he is my Lord. If you haven't had a time in your life where you've been baptized or been brought into a church and helped grow in faith, if that hasn't been real in your life yet, then you need to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And, and here's how you, the first step you can do that. Right there, and the second thing, is declaring peace is... What a great time you're going to do that. So let me know. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. This doesn't make you a Christian, by the way. But it does tell us it's a great next step. It lets me know that we need to talk. And we'll get together with you. Make sure I have your contact information. And we'll get together and I'll explain it to you. I'll answer your questions. And if, if and when you're ready, I'll help you take those steps of faith. And declare peace with God. That's where peace begins. And what a perfect way to celebrate this season and to accept the gift that God brought in this season. So if that's you, let us know. The next thing that you can do on this is declare peace within. If you're in Christ, you really can't do this until you're in Christ, but if you do, declare peace within. How do you do that? Pray with thanksgiving. That's going to be your challenge this week. Join me in this. When troubles come your way, pray with thanksgiving. Not for your troubles, but for who God is. He's bigger than your troubles. Invite him in and say, God, help me. Declare peace. And you know what? Don't be surprised when the peace that surpasses understanding actually becomes real in your life and guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's cool, really cool, and then it happens. The next thing you can do on this is also celebrate the peace to come. Right? 
Celebrate the peace to come in Christ. So maybe it's cling to hope. That's what you'll do. And, and how do we cling to hope? It's this. Maybe in the middle of a really hard time, you can't see the, end of the, the light at the end of the tunnel or anything like that. Remember this. There is an end. And there is a light. And he's coming. Cling to that. It's a great way to end that. Okay. Well, if there's anything else you need to commit to or if you have a prayer request, write that down. And here with a minute, we're going to have a, uh, our, take our, our offering. Take our offering. I would appreciate if you would take these connection cards, put them in the basket. Uh, know that I will pray for each of you this week. It's my joy to do that. Before we do that, two things. The first one is this, is that after um, our offering time, after you, uh, you uh, drop those in the basket with your tithes and your gifts, we're going to have, uh, the Hoskins family is going to join us for a baby dedication. And so um, we'll be doing that. Before this, uh, I want to pray. Now, I pray there's that passage that was at the very end of that video that I'm going to, it's a benediction for you. Maybe this be true of you. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace. At all times and in every way, the Lord be with you all. Let's pray. Father God, we love you because you are a God of love. We look to you for, for our security because you are an everlasting and almighty God. We look to you for justice because you are a God of righteousness. We look to you for compassion because you are a God of great mercy. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, at this Christmas season, in the midst of all, this, of all of the chaos and all of the struggle in our culture and our families and our lives, Father, we invite you in. I pray and I, I beseech you, God, I ask that you would come and invade our hearts and our lives. Bring your peace. Father, not just from the storms, though I pray that every storm that doesn't need to rage, that you would end. But Father, I pray for each of us, storm or no, that your peace would be real in us, Father. And in that, help us to then represent you well. May we be your ambassadors of peace into our families, into our workplaces, Father, and into our our community. Father, may your peace reign in us, and may your peace blanket our community in Christ. Father, in in working towards that through obedience, I I pray that you help us to keep these commitments we've each made. Help us to keep those and change us in them. May we see you in our life to know that you are real and that you are powerful and that you are bigger than all things, that you truly have overcome this world. May your peace be ours. Father, in that, we don't just give you our commitments, we also give you our tithes. We give you our our gifts. Lord, please accept these as an investment in your kingdom, the kingdom that is surely going to come and will last forever. It is our joy to stand with you in this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.